Welcome to Bounty Hunters Guild, the Mandalorian podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's happening? And we are back live from Madison, Wisconsin. Um, no, we uh, took the last week off uh, just because of the holiday. We had some complications and um, didn't know if we would do a, a single review for every episode of The Mandalorian. And uh, I think uh, these last two maybe didn't warrant their entire own review as it is. So we can kind of compare and contrast episodes four and five. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, four, four, four may have warranted his own review. Five, I, I those things certainly did not, and could have been yeah. rolled, into, yeah. rolled into the fourth review. So five, unfortunately, felt like the out. first kind of throwaway episode where the plot wasn't really advanced at all. The characters weren't really advanced at all. Um, I think four didn't push the plot very far, but there was still a lot of characterization that happened in four. That five just like we already kind of had an episode where like nothing really happens, and that was two for the most part. And like, we're getting like another episode where not really anything happens again. Like really? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we'll get into it, but I think certainly, uh, you know, in terms of advancing the plot for certainly, uh, set the stakes in terms of they can never stop because they're never going to be fully safe. And, and I think that that's, you know, the, certainly the propelling, uh, the thing that's propelling the series going forward is that it is that Mando is in a constant, state of trying to protect baby Yoda. And also we were introduced to Cara Dune who, you know, we just know from promotional materials is going to be factoring into the show uh, later on in the season. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll talk broadly about each episode. Um, but I think the end of episode five certainly is going to be doing something to propel the rest of the season forward. Uh, even though the episode itself was fairly throwaway, I think the, you know, what needed to happen happened in an episode to to get to the point where they're going to start to tell the main you know bulk of the story which seems a little crazy you know two-thirds of the way through the season but it's 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 not your traditional you know series structure i think as as i as we said before they're basically just making you know like a four-hour movie and and breaking it up into chunks um you know three to four hour movie it's really not much more than feature length when you really string all of these together. Um, so, you know, maybe this would have worked, uh, flowed a little bit better as a feature where this episode was almost like a little bit of a narrative detour, almost like the, um, the casino planet, you know, in last Jedi where you're like, eh, maybe, maybe could have done without that's that, uh, subplot, but overall, like, you know, whatever. So, I mean, if but, anything, this, you could have thrown this episode right up after episode two, and it would at least would have been like, okay, well, now we're getting a little bit closer to civilization, but we're not quite back to, uh, you know, the, the the bounty hunters guild where he's got to turn the baby in, right? To to go there and then pull all the way back to where we are now, where it's like, oh, now he's just at the fucking, like, you know, here's all the Easter eggs you know, back at the cantina. And, oh, look, there's a guy with his feet up remember on this, the exact same boot at the thing, and it's like, I don't care. I mean, you can do it, and I notice it, but it's not like, oh my god, did you see when he had his feet up on the exact same booth where Boba? You know, it's just like I, I don't, I don't give a shit. See, like I, all, do I, all you I, want. I don't care. Yeah, and I, and I enjoyed it to an extent, but I, I don't think it did much. Well, all right, so you know, let's get into each episode because because we'll have we'll have stuff to talk about certainly when we get to episode five. But um, episode four, I thought was was excellent and uh you know just really following on the heels of episode three which i think most people will agree is by far the best episode of the show so far the incredible 
uh, episode where you know we, the the sin where where Mando uh, actually does turn the baby over, um, and then you know has has the the really emotional moment and and realizes that that's you know not at all what he wants to do, and that he does care about this this kid and goes back for it, and this that amazing fucking battle. Well, we got, in we the got like five or six amazing moments in that episode. Yeah, and no, it's just I, tremendous. I think we got like. <clears throat> three decent moments uh that really carry the episode in, in episode four and then five we got not really any maybe half a decent moment and there's nobody's faces on the screen that you can actually see to really make sense of it which is it's okay but like after an episode of like complete yeah <laughs> well so for sure i mean yeah and and again i i don't think anything was offensively bad in episode five i just don't think anything was particularly it, it did feel a little bit like filler but um, but but yeah, let's talk about four a little bit because four I thought was a, another really you know stellar great episode. Um, obviously they land on this planet, uh, Sorghum I believe it was called, uh, or Sorghum, not not Sorghum like the you know like the, the wheat or whatever. Um, the planet but, was called Gingham. Yeah. Um. So they land on this planet. Uh, it's obviously you know a fishing village um that that he lands near uh i don't know if the whole planet's a fishing village but in star wars you know typically a planet is one thing uh there's no you know climate cycles or <laughs> you know changing of seasons or different uh, hemispheres everything is just you know the one thing um but yeah so on this planet uh or where he lands at least it's this kind of fishing village uh it, it seems like a peaceful enough place for him to you know, lay low with, with baby Yoda for a little bit, uh, and, and, you know, hide out from all the bounty hunters who are, who are hot on their tail now. And, uh, you know, that, and that's another thing that, that, you know, the show doesn't do a ton of, uh, explaining about is how the fobs actually work. I think what we're to understand is that you do need to at least be in the vicinity of a target for it to, to pick up, like to connect to that target. And it seems to be, biologically based like you know every life form is encoded in with something at birth or you know it, this this thing is just attuned to a specific dna like it, it's unclear exactly how it works and uh, more a, importantly a little hand wave work it's a little thing that beeps when you get close to a thing and that's really all yeah. you need to know <laughs> i i just don't want it to be like such a deus ex machina that like well it can do whatever it wants when you know like it, it needs to have concrete rules in order for it to not be stupid I, I think, but I, I think we've, we've broadly gathered that it, you need to be within, you know, within the planet's distance of the subject to find it because he thinks that, Hey, nobody's here. We'll be safe. And the only thing that brings a bounty hunter there is the huge ruckus they, you know, they cause by battling the, 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 the Raiders and, you know, destroying the ATSD and all that, which, which drew some attention, you know, it's gotta be close enough to the audience that we can hear it beeping. Otherwise, yeah. it serves no function. That yeah, way. yeah, but, but but like meaning like he couldn't if he went to a planet where there was no civilization and nobody knew he was there, he presumably could have just just hide there. It's not and that he. Why would the audience be there to hear it beep? I don't know. No, that's what I'm saying. Like he like the, the, it's important that we know that the fobs at least need some kind of proximity to work. But um, so in any event, they're they're on this planet. He thinks it's you know safe to lay low for a while. Um, we get, uh, you know, we get introduced to the, the uh, this woman and her child, um, who 
uh, clearly takes a liking to Mando right away. Uh, we, we later learned she's a widow. So, you know, uh, open season for Mando, I guess. Um, he uh, really opens up to her in a way that he doesn't uh, open up to anyone else in the series. You know, it seems like he, he really uh, feels like he can make a life with this woman. Um, at least it's something he's considering. You know, we, we learn a little bit more about <clears throat> the Mandalorian culture where uh, we were like speculating, like, what do you mean you don't fucking take your helmet off? Like ever? Do you brush your teeth? Do you eat? So basically what it is, is you're not allowed to take your helmet off in the presence of others. Like he says, like, you know, I took my helmet off yesterday, implying that, yeah, no, you can take your helmet off if you're in private. You just can't show your face to anybody. Otherwise, you can't put the helmet back on. You know, this is the way. This How do you is, get married, though? Culture. How do you know who the fuck you're marrying if you can't see their face? Like, what are you going to be really tuned to voices? There. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you'd be that. like if they're attractive or not. Well, look, look, it's yeah. about the inner beauty with Mandalorians. Yeah, apparently. How do you even um, know what species you are if you can't see under that fucking helmet? We live <laughs> yeah, in a multi-species environment. You it's pull, you pull the helmet off. You think it's like fucking Pedro Pascal, like smoldering, and meanwhile it's fucking Admiral Akbar. You know, it's a Mon Calamari. Exactly. Zoidberg <laughs> from Futurama. <laughs> no, no Mon Calamari racism, uh, or anything. I'm just saying, you know, that would be a big disappointment if you were expecting Pedro uh, Pascal. I am totally racist against lobster people they don't belong <laughs> in our in our culture yeah. uh no I mean, more we cephalopods we don't really yeah. see that um you know he is really having a, a, any <clears> kind of connection <throat> to this woman until Kara dune kind of calls him out and like sees right oh sure yeah bullshit uh which you need because he's closed off and someone's gotta see through that bullshit like she knows what kind of fucking life he lives mm-hmm. like she's oh, it's not dissimilar from her life it's just pretty similar right She's like, well, oh, I'm a, I'm a, an estranged shock trooper. You're a fucking bounty hunter. You, you've like, you, you embraced this, and I'm trying to get away from it. <laughs> so I know you're way more fucked up than I am. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we do uh, meet Cara Dune. Uh, she is, as you said, a former uh, shock trooper, but she's actually uh, a uh, resistance shock trooper, which or rebel shock trooper, I guess, in in, in the timeline that we're talking. Uh, which is interesting because we've only ever known of uh, Imperial Shock Troopers, which is just a division of the Stormtroopers. But I guess, you know, uh, it's just a it's a catch all term that they use for, you know, that that type of infantry. Heavy and have really fucking beefcake biceps, though, like male yeah, or female. Yeah. You got to well, the shock troopers, I think sleeves and just show that shit and fucking fight people and beat them up and shocking. Yeah. Yeah. The shock troopers have like like uh, you, like electrocution things but they also i'm pretty sure the imperial shock troopers carry some kind of like a like a cannon like a rocket like a rocket firing thing so they usually are pretty beefy in general so that it it tracks with uh with cara being a rebel shock rockets are heavy not anyone can carry a rocket around you know yeah it's true um but but yeah so uh we were introduced to cara she's sitting in this bar uh or in this cantina he you know asked the waitress uh who she is and she doesn't really know much about her, but when he looks back up, she's gone. So uh, naturally, he decides to leave this child, who's the most prized, uh, valuable asset in the universe, behind with this waitress he just met uh, to go out and chase this woman that he has no idea who she is. Uh, and again, you know, as much as he's shown to be overprotective at times, he's still uh, really bad at parenting. Like, he's really just not very practiced. No, uh, which he, he flings a... a, a- coin at the you know the bartender he's like watch the kid that's it that's all you got to do 
This is a fuck. Really? Yeah, you don't have time to fucking nuance this shit. You just you flick a coin at the waiter, and you say, "Watch the kid," and that's it. That's like the yeah. Indiana Jones minimal you can do. Fucking badass. Just here you Which go. Very, watch the kid. It's really lacks parenting, lacks parking. Like he just constantly leaves his ship unlocked and in the middle of fucking enemy territory. Like, dude, come on. Protect your shit a little bit better. I mean, you're not from the greatest part of the galaxy. You have to know that you can't leave your fucking starship just unlocked, sitting in the middle. Like, I, this ship was literally stripped two episodes ago by a bunch of fucking Jawas, and he sure. still leaves it unlocked. I, I, I know I've been on a on a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy kick tonight, but when you have a flamethrower attached to your wrist, you will find... <laughs> reasons to set things up for a cause to use oh that. man so yeah like i, I mean, dare you i'm gonna leave my ship unlocked i fucking dare you fuckers come here and strip that thing i will burn you alive just for the satisfaction of knowing but again he he, it. just just really needs to dial it back with the flamethrower i mean he so he's get he, he follows cara dune out and again he is following her like she didn't ask him to follow her he knows nothing about her knows nothing about who she is um, and she, you know, rightfully said things like Mandalorian. He's probably a bounty hunter. He's probably after me. Um, probably, you know, cause she, we learn later, she deserted, uh, the rebel army when she realized that all she was doing was like enforcing, you know, uh, kind of soft Imperial. It's implied that she, she wasn't crazy about where the rebel Alliance, uh, wh- what the new Republic became after the rebel Alliance. So, she uh, deserted, so she thinks, well, maybe there's a bounty on me. Maybe he's coming to collect. So she fights uh, with him. And dude um, is in a fist fight with this this woman who has no armor on for the most part. Uh, really kicks the shit out of him and, and just tries to fucking flamethrower her. It's like, dude, you followed her. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on, man. Like, just very, very quick to flamethrow anyone that he's in a in conflict with. Um, well, he sparks very, that thing up when he's facing the complete opposite direction and then tries to spin around. So he kind of gave her a bit of a heads up warning. Um, but I love that she just kind of like stomps on his arm and he's <laughs> into the ground. Like he's clearly yeah. outmatched. Uh, and yeah, it's a great little great. I mean, good, good uh, blocking to that little fight scene. Too. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. It's brief, but it's the, the cutting's good. I love the, the last cut where. Uh, it, it seems like she just knocks him down and then it like cuts the opposite direction. And it looks like somehow the way she knocked him down, we kind of see it in between the cut that he got spun around, like almost like his feet, like his head hit the ground before his feet did, even though he was standing when she knocked him over, like she maybe kicked his legs out from under him and then fucking threw him down at the same time. Right. But it just, it looks like yeah, maybe yeah. they, there's a little bit of a stretch of how it was done, but it kind of reminded me of like the, um, uh, Brad Pitt, Jackie Chan, or uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Bruce Lee. I, yeah. Bruce Lee. There we go. Fight scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he, uh, not to spoil anything, but somebody gets thrown into a car, and they cut a couple frames out of it to make the the throw and the impact seem even more abrupt than it actually could have been. Mm-hmm. Right. So it kind of felt it's like, like a, a comedy bit. cut, almost. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um. But and yeah, and and Gina Carano, who plays Cara Dune, is a, is a legit badass, like you know, former UFC fighter. So she's she's got all that shit. Like she's very believable in this role. But she's actually a, a really you know good actress from what we've seen a little glimpse of her. So I'm, it, which is you know pretty rare for for like a pro fighter that tries to transition. We saw you know if if you've seen Ronda Rousey try to act, it's like it's not the easiest transition you know to make from from professional fighting to like being a a badass in a movie like it's it's you know tough to tough to emote when your whole job has been actually kicking the the shit out of people for real like and not actually sure. 
you know, but, um, but well, Gina I, I Brown love, seems um, to be very good, you know, at it. One of my favorite things about Boogie Nights is, uh, you know, for the first probably 45 <laughs> minutes of the movie, they keep talking about like how they want to make like a really, really well acted adult film, something that really transcends, uh, the medium to really, uh, you know, bring families together and to, to save marriages and just create love. And then when you see them act, it's fucking horse shit. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, you realize that like everyone making pornos in the seventies was telling themselves the same fucking lie. Uh, and, and that all of their acting was terrible and all the production value was terrible. <laughs> on yeah, all of them. No, for sure. So I, I just, um, imagine that's, that's, that's like probably 90% of the people that go from some kind of sport, be it uh, WWE, what have you to get into acting at all. They're not going to be very good, so credit to her for doing a great yeah. job. Actually. Well, and funnily enough, the WWE people have actually the best success rate from transitioning to some kind of an athletic thing to acting, like versus mm. the kind of UFC people. Because you you do have, I mean, not that he's like an amazing actor, but you got someone like The Rock, who's a very successful actor. You have someone like Batista, who's actually I think a really good actor. Uh, really, you know, has a lot of uh, pathos when he wants to, and he always wore um, those little wire rim glasses from uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> When he was in the ring, but, right? That was like a thing. Yeah, that no, that's that was a thing. He, he, he would he would he would just you know kind of rub his eyes like a, like like he's just very weary and you know take his little his little wire rim glasses off and then then just you know proceed to beat the shit out of somebody, yeah, um, stab him with a fucking military surgical scalpel. <laughs> no, uh, Stop but spoiling yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> it's come on. It's like the first ten minutes of the movie. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, it's also been out for two years now, so. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you if you haven't seen it yet, you're probably not, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, man, I was going to watch that. Be spoiled. It. Um, but yeah, no. So, uh, you know, very enjoyable. And in that scene, of course, gives us one of the one of the immediate, you know, most gifable moments from from any, you know, Star Wars, anything, which is uh, they they're in a fight and then they end up, you know, pointing their their blasters at each other uh, and then turn to their right and see that uh baby yoda is there sipping his soup uh just kind of casually watching them uh being well, adorable to, to the right is subjective because one's up well yeah one's to the left one's so yeah so, uh it would be to their uh starboard i guess um no yeah it, it, it's great and i saw a million memes made out of uh baby of yoda in the little shawl holding the soup bowl <laughs> Uh, the, the best of which was every mother on Christmas morning watching you unwrap presents. That was the best one. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. Uh, I like that one for sure. And it, it, it's immediately becoming the new like sipping tea, you know, go to like it, it's it's supplanted the the Kermit sipping the, the tea, you know, kind of meme uh, for that kind of <clears throat> thing. But um, yeah, so uh, they go back into the. Uh, into the cantina to, to, you know, kind of commiserate and you know, it's, seemingly they, they've earned uh, some level of mutual respect by kicking the shit out of each other for a few minutes. You know, that, that, that usual, uh, action, action movie trope. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they, you know, she, she tells him, uh, her story. She was ex Imperial or ex uh, rebel shock trooper, uh, to, you know, left after the new Republic took over and she didn't like what she was doing. um, and she basically says, like, look, I'm, you know, hiding out here. You know, I was here first, so not to be a dick, but, you know, you guys got you guys got one of us has to go and I was here first. Uh, and he's like, yeah, all right, well, fair enough. Um, so he goes back to his ship and then the uh, villagers are there, uh, you know, appealing to him to try to help them uh, deal with this situation with these raiders. So that, you know, we see at the, the opening of the of the episode is these raiders 
uh, raiding this very peaceful fishing village and, you know, plundering all of their fishing uh, equipment or their, their, their fishing, you know, spoils and, uh, you know, just de- generally terrorizing them. It's, it's a raider culture they're, they're That's how they sustain themselves seemingly. Um, uh, warrior culture and this this village are a bunch of peaceful fishers they have no means of defending themselves um and again this is where we see the allusions to uh kurosawa's seventh samurai i mean this whole episode was a basically a remake and or an homage to the seventh samurai where you get these these uh warriors coming into a village uh hi- like brought in by the villagers to protect them from uh, raiders and they they not only do they help protect them but they actually train the villagers to fight alongside them uh and even to the point where they teach them to use spears and like like in the seventh samurai it was very uh, been reminiscent a, of that it was a trope yeah, yeah times with the you know samurai movies and westerns and even in the, i think that was kind of the Filotis. originator and a lot of you know stuff they, yeah, they did it in Rebels. They did it in in Clone Wars. Like it's just it's been done a bunch of bunch. It's of an iconic. It's an iconic story, an iconic um, archetype for sure. And obviously, yeah, uh, and it works though. It's 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 a great you know it's a great story. Um, but uh, the and you know the great uh, kind of construct of this episode, and I'm sure this was like the 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 one sentence pitch was like, hey what if like this group of what if a group uh of, of randos uh had an atst just like lying around like you know the empire just of course in the wake of their defeat at endor um it, it left a lot of equipment behind i mean it's we see it in real life with the us when we you know occupy all these countries and then we're forced to move on and like all these rebel groups you know uh t- commandeer our equipment you know <laughs> that's when we're not selling it to them uh but, but the ones that you know the ones that we don't sell it to they just you know we leave all this shit behind and then people just take it and use it so it's like the whole th- idea of like well if the empire crumbles and there's no infrastructure no leadership anymore a lot of this shit probably would have been abandoned by people being like yeah fuck this i'm leaving we're leaving this planet we're going back to you know corellia wherever the fuck we come from uh and so this atst was left behind and this group of raiders use this uh as their kind of shock and awe when they go into this fishing village uh it doesn't even really seem to do much in terms of like tactical outside of just you know overwhelm these people scare the shit out of them while we go and take all of their their shit and then leave you know um but of course it's a very formidable foe on its own sure well we've scaled the 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 well, we've scaled the scale down um where these things were never that scary they first were introduced in in empire but they weren't that scary because then there was the uh you know the much bigger version right on their heels ATAT, yeah and it's kind of like oh that was all right now we're you know they never really had a a, a very long uh lifespan of being a scary thing they were supposed no, to look and very fucking space teddy bears took them out with logs in the third exactly, movie like like exactly. a bunch of little fucking Viet Cong warriors they so, you know, took these things down one of the um one of the things they did was to it seemed it seemed like it's bigger you know, it just seemed like it was physically bigger than we've seen it before. Sure. And then also just having like the red eyes, you know, like it's lit up red on the inside. And I actually heard, I heard some nerds say, well, I didn't I liked how it was scary looking, but I didn't like how they didn't show the people inside of it. The way that they showed the people inside of it in my favorite movie, uh, The Return of the Jedi, where they showed the, the Imperial 
forces inside the you know thing and that was really cool to see and i would have liked to have seen them do that in this episode too as well even though i know it wasn't imperial forces it was somebody else but then if they show it's like dude shut the fuck I think, up i actually think God. that yeah no that, i mean there's a point actually, to doing a thing the reason why they didn't show it is because they wanted the thing itself to seem to more seem like, like a monster. monster yeah exactly and if you know who directed this and you know what other movies she's been in, it actually makes a lot of fucking sense. And I, I feel well, like so, she might have even been chosen in part because of that. So, yeah. yeah well, so as you alluded to, the episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, who is an actress, great actress, uh, you know, was in was in the Jurassic World movies, obviously, but also did great work in uh, Black Mirror, some other, you know, stuff I'm sure you've seen her in. Um, but uh daughter of ron howard also daughter of ron a, howard uh star wars directing alum yep directed basically the entirety of solo i mean from what people said they re- reshot almost the entire movie so for better and worse that's his movie um and and obviously a, a legendary director in his own right directed a lot of other things uh of note but uh yeah i mean i i can't help but imagine and and before i even knew she directed the episode like this is not something you and this is kind of the nice thing about um, Mandalorian is that you really don't have much info before the episode. Like you don't have preview for next week. You don't see like credits to open it really in terms of like who directed it and shit like that. It's just like, oh, I guess what like what's this little mystery, you know, box like what's this little like Christmas cracker that I'm going to open up and find out what's inside every week, which is kind of nice in a way because I, I feel like like I love Watchmen. I love the discourse around Watchmen, but we're so much of what we talk about with Watchmen is like, Oh, well it looks like this is going to happen because this is what we see in this preview. And this, you know, like, and it, it's actually kind of refreshing to just be like, I have no idea. We could be on fucking Hoth next episode. And I wouldn't have any idea until we open it up. And it's I don't like, know. I, I love that they don't have a preview, but I mean, with the episodes only 36 minutes long, uh, and, and you really can't preview. Much how much can you really show? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we know that this is very, you know, especially if they're just mining things they've done in Westerns over and over and over. It's different for Star Wars, but it's not different thematically or, or um, <clears throat> you know, storylistically to what we've seen many times before. So I'm glad they're not showing anything as a preview. No, it's uh, it's nice. It's it's a different, but... Um, no, but really, I think, you know, with, with Bryce Dallas Howard, she doesn't have a ton of experience. Um, if, you, sure. if you watch her interviews... You know, like you can tell that like they they probably brought her on because they wanted to like genuinely wanted to have more diversity in the directors. And here's a place they can do it because they don't have, you know, a, a one and a half billion dollars riding on each fucking thing. So they can, you know, experiment more with who they're who they're having, you know, helm the ship. Now, yeah. keep in mind, uh, John Favreau is the director, <laughs> right? The the people that come in and run the episodes are there to uh, make sure that the the shot list is completed <laughs> right yeah uh, and they can and they can incorporate like things here and there but largely these things are written and kind of blocked out and sets are built without their you know when you when you come in and work on a show like kevin smith talked about this because he got brought in uh to work on uh the flash you know like one of the cw superhero shows yeah uh yeah. and later supergirl and he's like hey which you know i mean they're, they're what the, they are what they are um but he was like yeah no it was amazing like i because he's and I, I really like kevin smith especially his earlier work you know clerks uh dogma dogma chasing amy but um he's never been a visual director you know by any stretch of the imagination he's not a visually uh stimulating director 
Uh, he's worked with some decent, you know, DPs, but he's it's it's not his forte. He's a he's a writer. Like that's what he is at, at you know at his core. And um, he's like, yeah, it's unbelievable how much how how little I needed to really do uh, on these sets. Like everything is set up, everything's blocked out. Basically, I just need to be like, yeah, you know, let's try that one more time. But like maybe try uh, emphasizing this, or maybe try you know uh you, you know directing the actors is basically what you do in those situations you don't have to worry about uh, all the other intangibles that you have to worry about when you're directing something that's completely your vision and something that's your project where you're like fuck i don't know if i like the lighting in this scene i don't know if i like you know this like all you're doing is like trying to get good performances out of people based on something that you didn't write which right. is and I think most people understand that. Sure. Um, I think with Favreau though, like he he knows who to pick to do what thing, because he kind of knows like what they would like to do or what they could bring sure. to it. Yeah, right. And and I think you know it's <clears throat> women like Bryce Dallas Howard is not going to star as a woman running in her heels from a giant T Rex unless she really fucking likes dinosaurs. Like he wouldn't do that movie unless you really fucking like dinosaurs. Like you know, you're an adult, but you still have those parts of your childhood where you're like, "That's really yeah, fucking she probably cool." Fucking loved loved Jurassic Park as a yeah. kid. Like he was probably like, oh, "Man, I'd fucking love to be in Jurassic." So, Maybe I get to do a scene with fucking Ian Malcolm one day. That'd be amazing. So the idea that you know, in this episode that she directed, you have this this um, you know ATST that is really looks more like a like the the T Rex from Jurassic World than it does uh, yeah. like an actual Imperial Walker. Um, you know, that says something that says to me, like John Favreau probably thought like, Hey, I, I want to do this, this visual and who's got some, some directing chops and who, you know, has got the name, uh, who could bring a little bit to this and, you know, and and also like give her something to do because she doesn't have a huge resume as a director, um, the way she has a little bit more as an actor, whereas, uh, Deborah Chow, who directed the, the episode three, who I think we all agree is probably our favorite episode so far. Uh, has directed a ton of other episodes of TV shows, uh, leftovers, TV. and then yeah. uh, you know just just done a ton of stuff. So we're, we're obviously really excited to see what Deborah Chow does with uh, potentially being the sole director, if not the showrunner for uh, the Obi Wan series. Even if that's only one uh, one uh, one season, that would still be amazing to see a whole season just done by her. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, but yeah, I, that, that, that that's. But- you know, up until this, up until this fucking show, Mandalorian, every Star Wars movie was directed by a white male, right? And that lends itself to banality, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Golden Globes just, you know, the Golden Globes just released their list of nominations uh, today, and all five directors, all white men, that they nominated. It, it, it's weird that, like, you know, Star Wars, its entire run uh, was directed by white men. And then, like, people, like, had a meltdown when there was a female protagonist introduced in the newer series. It's almost like those two things may be slightly related in terms of, you know, yeah. <laughs> the way that the show was. Ge- but no, and, and again, I, I love the original Star Wars movies. I'm not shitting on them. But, like, it, I, I like the new ones, too. Like, it's guys like new um, I don't think anyone listens to this who's like, man, fuck the original or fuck the new movies. Fuck, you know, raise a bullshit character. Like you can have issues with with the way certain things were executed in either of those movies. And I certainly do for some of them. But I I largely enjoy uh, the new movies and I largely enjoy that we're getting to live in that world again, you know, experience that world again for 
you know, two hours at a clip. And I think I, I you know, I'm not to beat a dead horse, but I think the last Jedi is one of the most uh, interesting and challenging things that's ever been done, you know, within the star Wars universe. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I can't wait to see what happens with rise. Although I'm a little worried, um, but, um, but, but no, in any event, yeah, it's, it's great to have diversity uh, of opinion and diversity in the writer's room and diversity in, in terms of the the creative aspects of putting these shows together and not just in terms of like the cast themselves, although that's also great. You know, that's, it's great that they're doing that. Sure. Um, well, and we're in a position where it's not like the, the story, if it's good or not, is going to fundamentally affect our lives. Right. So we're in a place where the diversity only can help better the stories that are being told by bringing a more diverse range of experiences to inform what the story is going to be about. Right. So that's a place where I'm just like, I, you know, I clearly if somebody was writing a story and the basis of that story was going to decide whether uh, 40 million people got health care or not, I'd be like, I don't care the race of the person. Just make sure that everyone gets health care with that script, you know, whereas here we don't have to worry about that so much. But, uh, you know, guarantee everyone who's going to be involved is going to be really fucking talented right now. I, I think there's there's still places where there are too many cooks in the kitchen. And not, you know, not enough one singular creative idea can come through. And I think we saw that a little bit with episode five. But, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, Filoni, Favreau, whatever, Fil- the guy with the cowboy hat. <laughs> um, you know, well, I mean, he, he did he did the animated series, which are great. Filoni, Dave Filoni, yeah. But they're still like really, 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 really there for kids, like young kids. Sure. Right. And, and the best stuff we've seen out of Star Wars is when it really fucking gets away with all that crap and goes for the really raw gritty shit, right? The Rogue One stuff, you know, a Mandalorian episode three kind of stuff. Uh, I think to, to a large degree, even a good chunk of last Jedi dabbled in oh, that too. Last Jedi was not at all a kid's. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, for people that, you know, even if you don't like the story, you certainly wouldn't be able to say like, Oh yeah, that was for kids. Like, no, it's pretty fucking, there's some dark and grim shit in that, in that ep, in that movie. And it's very, um, it, it, it kind of aggressively challenges nostalgia in a way that I think it explains it's, Oh, it, it's reception. a full on, you know, shotgun blast, both barrels in the face to the idea of, of Disney's weaponized nostalgia. It was almost yeah. a revolt to that. And and the fanboys, you know, were very we're vocal happy. about being shot in the face. They were just like, this is the Luke Skywalker that I remember. It's like, really? Yeah. The, the same one that wouldn't fight his father, you know, until he was absolutely forced to just purely in self-defense. The one that just like laid down his lightsaber for the entire Are fucking movie. Dead? Why wouldn't go fight Kylo Ren for real? Oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Like you said, like the guy who literally like laid down his lightsaber and the only way he, his... Like he he didn't defeat Darth Vader. He fucking like gave himself sacrificed himself and he was ready to die. And that's the only thing that saved his father and, and made and broke him out of his 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 just thinking that he had no other alternative, that he made these choices and he was stuck, you know, with the Emperor and stuck in the situation he was. And that was what showed him the kind of empathy and humanity that that and that Luke still cared about him enough to you know, get him to that point where he was willing to just say, you know, all right, fuck this. I, 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 I fucked up, but I don't have to fuck up forever. I can do one more good thing before I die. And then he, you know, of course kills the emperor or maybe not <laughs> as, as we're, as we're going to learn. Um, 
but no, I mean that was again that's that's who Luke Skywalker is, and and the Luke Skywalker you meet in Last Jedi is is really a fucking fascinating. I, I think that's like the best thing, best uh, character work they've ever done in a Star Wars movie is the shit that Luke goes through in that movie where he's like, yeah, no, the Jedi were dicks, like they were super vain, like to think that they controlled the galaxy and controlled the Force. It was bullshit. Like you have to understand. Like I, I love everything about his journey in that um in that episode and how ray kind of uh reignites his 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 fighting spirit in the end and she and he realizes like and nothing it doesn't invalidate what he says about the jedi order and about their their arrogance and their you know their vain and and you know that they're completely uh to blame for the emperor rising to power and not for seeing the fucking the guy that literally you know is is the fucking emperor sitting in your fucking senate and you're giving him you know unlimited power like you could no yoda couldn't fucking foresee that one um but yeah no so i i like what they did with that you know which one are we reviewing now i don't remember (laughs) no mandalorian episode four so um Mm, but it's and it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about star wars without getting into the wider canon but so um yeah, so this episode, um, you know, it, it wraps up after they they defeat the uh, the Walker. Really, you know, great fun action scene where they're trying to lure the thing into this kind of trap. Because again, these things are not very tactical, tactically designed. Like they're very easy to take out if you, you know, can trip it basically. <laughs> uh, so they're get, trying to get it to step into this this like little puddle lake thing to you know disable it, and then they then Mando threw a grenade into its eye to blow it up. But um, uh, yeah, so they do that. Uh, obviously, uh, Mandalorian thinks like, hey, maybe you know, uh, maybe it's safe here. He he says he's gonna leave uh, the kid behind. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to keep uh keep bringing him with him because it's too dangerous um and again you know at that moment we're like seriously you're gonna leave the kid again like you know this this kid's not gonna be safe but um you know it, it, the, the choice is taken away from him immediately when a bounty hunter comes through the woods uh with a fob and uh almost kills him and then almost kills the baby yoda before cara dune takes it out um, and of course, they they know what they're doing when they put Baby Yoda in the fucking crosshairs of a, you know, a sniper rifle and like l- let a shot ring out. It's like obviously we didn't think he was going to be uh, taken out in that moment, but like you know that, that don't do that shit, Disney. Come on now, <laughs> like you, they're making rude. money, man. They're just no, they're just course. counting the fucking the Baby Yoda dolls before they've even shipped. Which I don't even know if um, they've shipped yet. They really like, no, they're not coming out until May. Because put the, the kibosh on on this Christmas, which is amazing that they're uh, willing to to put throw away that much money. And I, I you know, read the interview, fuming right now. <laughs> um, you know, and Favreau was like, "Well, it's that much more impactful if we all feel like we discovered Baby Yoda together without a fucking line of toys being immediately there." And it's like, nah, you're just fucking building it up. You're just milking it for next year. <laughs> yeah no next year but but yeah but if they it's what's gonna happen with baby yoda i mean we we don't know it's gonna be interesting I what's mean, uh when, when's mother's day when does that drop may when when those come out actually oh yeah <laughs> every every mother is gonna want a baby yoda yeah 
Um, but yeah, no, they're I, they're available for pre-order, but they're not going to be made until like May because the demand is you know so high and it's so it takes so long to process that shit when you you know make it in China that it, it's like yeah. Um, but yeah, so the episode ends um, with Mando realizing that it's not safe uh, to leave Baby Yoda behind. He's got to take him with him. Uh, and then they're off again, uh, and you know, he parts ways with Kara, but obviously I, I think we can assume she'll come back into the story later on. Um, certainly seems like a, like a, a future companion for him, um, future love interest maybe, but also, but certainly future companion in, in whatever his, the, the, the final kind of, you know, test of this season will be for him, um, and uh yeah so that was that was that episode four uh really good episode i thought you know again everything kind of pales in comparison to episode three so far but uh you know it's still still strong episode really enjoyed it uh not a ton of complaints uh about that but uh episode five uh you I know, got some complaints <laughs> About four. Well, I mean, look, it wasn't. No, you said now on episode five. And I said, I got. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Yeah. Um, And and look, before we get into episode five, I I, I don't think anything was aggressively bad in this episode. I just don't think it really did much to do anything to advance the story and or to engage the audience. I mean, it was just a it was like fine. It was like, oh, it was fun. 30 minutes of more in Star Easily Wars universe. Easily the most forgettable episode. Yeah, uh, that, that's for sure. You know, I like I, I love Amy Sedaris. When I first realized that was her in this episode, I was like, oh, shit, I bet she's, there's going to be some great jokes that maybe aren't like exactly what you expect from Star Wars, but she's going to be fucking hilarious in her own right. And she wasn't even that. It was just like, why even fucking have her in here? If there's no point. And oh, there's the fucking little little fucking repair joys from from the fucking, you know, from the prequels. And it's like, I don't give a shit about that. Oh, but there's the cantina and there's the fucking booth and there's his feet up well, so, on the thing. And it's just like, cool. And <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So uh, this episode certainly was um, nostalgia heavy for sure. I mean, this is the first. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first episode where we um, see a planet that we are very familiar with, uh, exceedingly so. So you know, the uh, episode starts with Mando uh, in a kind of space fight with this other bounty hunter who's trying to, you know, collect on the bounty and disable his ship. Um, he takes evasive maneuvers to try to, you know, kind of avoid this uh, bounty hunter, and his ship is heavily damaged in the process. He does manage to blow the guy up, but. Um, his his ship needs to be repaired. It can't it can't function as as currently constituted. So um, so he uh you know has to land at the nearest planet, which uh we realize shortly is Tatooine because he he comes uh up to this uh port of entry and it's the uh the kind of like you know air traffic controller in the Star Wars universe says uh you know most obviously spaceport. Uh, proceed to dock whatever um so it's immediately evident that it is um you know it's Tatooine, which is of course the planet that we first see in star wars that luke uh grew up on that obi-wan is is living in on in exile um later it obviously plays in uh in episode uh in return of the jedi episode six where 
uh, Jabba's barge is is on Tatooine, and Jabba operates on Tatooine. His his you know the crew's uh, his smuggling uh, outfit um, operates out of Tatooine. So that's where we see uh, Boba Fett you know meet his meet his end in the Sarlacc pit, uh, presumably. Um, but so yeah, so you know immediately it was like oh okay that's interesting I guess I, I, you know I wonder what they'll do with this. Um, he lands, of course, as you said, Amy Sedaris is there. He kind of, you know, is like, I don't have money, but I'll, I'll, I'll get you the money. Just repair the ship. Um, and then he goes into the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina. So, uh, which is, of course, the iconic cantina from the first uh, Star Wars film. Uh, he talks to the droid bartender. Uh, they've obviously come a long way because, you know, droids weren't welcome in Mos Eisley Cantina back when uh luke and, and obi-wan went in there how uh, they couldn't even bring c-3po and r2d2 in um but now there's a droid you know running the place basically yeah they um, figured out labor theory so yeah yeah no yeah andrew yang's right everybody i guess uh you know he, he's been right all along uh but no uh so uh you know that so that was interesting uh the they have a conversation clearly uh, in the wake of Jabba's criminal empire and the, and and the the Hut crime syndicate kind of dissolving after Jabba's killed, uh, it seems like bounty hunting is almost like banned. If it's it certainly doesn't exist at it to any great extent within within tat, it, Tatooine. Like he, he basically the droid basically says you're not gonna have any luck finding bounty hunting work on Tatooine. The guild doesn't there's, operate here. No bounties to hunt. I mean, there's the town's deserted practically. Uh, well, but he, but, he, but it seems like they're not even welcome there because because of just I think all the negative connotations from you know the huts kind of I, like ruling over that area for so long, and now that they're sort of free of that, it's like well yeah, let's not have bounty hunting and tattooing anymore. Um, but you know, but of course, in typical uh, Star Wars fashion, someone says, "Hey, you know, I don't know about all that. Uh, why don't you come over and you know chat with me?" And it's. Uh, this character we're introduced to just really just one of the most insufferable pricks. Uh, Did he even have a name? Did that character have a name? Tor- I believe it was Toro Calican. Yeah. So basically, but, uh, no, he had no name. Yeah, no, uh, some yeah. made up bullshit, but I know you're supposed to not like him. He's supposed to seem like a little fucking dipshit douchebag, but like it, there's just the whole, like, I didn't think it was a particularly, particularly good actor. Like I felt like I was watching like a 90210 character like right like he just didn't seem like a great took me out of it yeah i just yeah it was it was dumb it was unnecessary and i know that he's he's like only pretending to be very inexperienced and really he was like way more fucking hardcore and everything but still just the there there was some really early um like guest characters uh on star trek the next generation when they rebooted that back in the, the yeah. 80s and like the first two seasons are they're okay but it's like the guest stars that really fucking reek of just terrible 80s acting you know and they had a few of those like it was like oh here's the swashbuckler character that we just rescued from the ship and he's gonna like seduce every woman on board and then like a thing will happen. He'll like mildly redeem himself. And then he just off on another adventure by roll credits. And it felt like that level of yeah. just completely, you know, just, just non storytelling. There's nothing you needed to see about this fucking character whatsoever. That was remotely interesting or is going to feed the plot. And, and sure enough, like he, he doesn't make it out of the episode. He's just there to kind of be mildly menacing. 
uh, and get someone else killed who was probably a way more interesting character and way better actor that we didn't get to enjoy beyond the confines of this episode. Yeah, she certainly seemed like it. Um, yeah, and and of course when he he comes up to him, he's sitting in in the booth that Han was sitting in when he when he meets with Greedo. He's sitting in the same kind of pose. Like it, it was very, you know, there, there was a lot of this episode contained a ton of fan service. You know, goes without saying. Um, and it, and it was again, it was you know cool. To, it was cool enough to see these places again. I I, I don't have a problem with visiting locations like that for. No. Not at all. But 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 I I would just prefer it if it were factoring into the story in a more significant way other than just like this could have taken place on any planet. This did not need to take place on Tatooine, and it only did to serve the kind of yeah. And they shot their Easter egg with, with no fucking point. You know, like what what if what if the fucking episode three took place in a place like this that was really fucking significant to the to the whole story. It was like, yeah. oh, my God, all this crazy shit's happening. And look where it's happening at. Like that would just, you know, I mean, maybe they'll come it back just and seems something silly, yeah. will happen. But I, it didn't seem like they were building towards anything with this. Yeah, I mean, you know, barring the the, the final shots of the episode, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll you know, talk about a little more in detail. But, um, yeah, so he, uh, you know, the, the, this guy says he's like a new bounty hunter. He's trying to get into the guild. Um he needs some help though. Cause he doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, he's got this, this high value target, um, who Mando immediately recognizes as this like world-class assassin, uh, who I, I, you know, didn't catch her name. It, it's some, some made up bullshit, of course. But, um, so he's like, yeah, you, you, there's no way, dude, you're going to need just going to fucking kill you. Like, don't even bother. Um, world-class assassin. Um, but you know, Mando needs the money. He can't get out of there without repairing his ship. So he uh, eventually agrees to go with him. Uh, once the once the kid says, once Toro says, like you know, you can keep the money. I just need to get into the guild. Uh, so Mando agrees to go with him. So they uh, take off on speeder bikes through the desert. Um, cool shot. You know, I, I, I always like seeing the the, the kind of uh, tech like that in action, like rendered well, not where where it's not you know goofy cg like we see in the prequels um it's just you know they make attempts to make it look you know practical at least uh like you really were just you know riding through the desert on like a motorcycle but like that floats off the ground you know Eh, yeah there was there was like the following shot you know where they're like going up and over the camera but it's just it's like i feel like i'm watching a video game it doesn't feel like photography to me uh it's just oh look it's did they shoot this on location in tunisia where they shot episode four uh, no, sure. I no, so, I, don't, right? I don't think so. They they said they shot almost every location is is right around Los Angeles, mm. and then they did like environmental shots around the world where they don't actually have any actual actors in the shot. It was all just CGI. Yeah, sent a camera crew or CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but again, like I said, it's just it's like the, the camera following two people center frame as they rise up and over hill after hill. Just feels like I'm watching a fucking video game, and that's you know. You know, it's weird. Uh, apparently, they the, I was reading something about how some of this show they shot using um, basically like projection technology, like they would actually project the set 
So it's like it's there to be filmed on camera. It's not CG, but it's not really there. You know, like it's a, they tried out some new tech with this, and apparently it, it, it's very uh, convincing. I don't know what what shots we're looking at where that's the case, but I'm sure that they. You mean that, that they are they're So when they're looking at it on the on the monitor, the actors can see it. No, no, no. Like literally in like it's being projected. Mm, okay. All right. So I don't I don't know exactly how it works. It's but it's fa- it's pretty fascinating. I actually, so they're doing real time like basically instead of just a green screen they're doing like a rear projection onto a screen yeah or onto something yeah it's like a temporary thing uh element the actors can see and then they do like a final rendering with the the finished image in post yeah but apparently it's pretty uh like accurate to the structures there i don't know i mean I, I'm, I'm i'd be curious to see how that tech yeah. works but but so that's well, how i, I know they're, I know they're using a lot of um a lot of video game animation software like the unreal engine and things like that i just i don't know mm-hmm. nearly enough about that stuff to know like yeah, what it fucking same. means or why it's fucking great or what it allows them to do that they couldn't otherwise but this you know this, this whole series is very video game-esque for good and for bad and, and like I, I think it's very much geared towards that generation like you know the kind of like like teen like 18 to 30 like the the key demo for advertisers you know um but but it, it the whole series plays almost like a video game where like it's like well you know you got this opening quest where you learn about this character and then he he gains a new piece of armor and then he you know he he com- completes this mission and he gets a whole new suit of armor and then he does this and it's a completely different sides it's very it's it's blocked and and out like the season's blocked out very much like a video game so far so i'm very you know interested to see the show take a more um uh narrative arc in the second half where where it's and it seems like it's going to because this whole john carlo esposito uh arc wins a character we haven't even met yet uh I assume that that's yes, going to be more of a. His name is Gus Fring, and it will always be Gus Fring, and he will always. <laughs> I haven't be met on this show the manager yet. at Los, Los Poyos Locos, and he will always have Los half Poyos of his Hermanos. Face. Los Poyos Hermanos, Los Poyos Locos, the same fucking thing. Chicken Brothers, <laughs> the Chicken Brothers, exactly. And he will always be tightening his tie after one half of his face is blown off for <laughs> infinity, forevermore. That is who he is. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and of course, you don't hire a great actor like that for one episode. Like he'll be a he'll be a major factor for the rest of the series, presumably. Um, but I do hope it does take on a more uh, serialized nature, less like you know, action of the week situation. Um, and but so in any event, um, yeah. So episode five. So he um, uh, he goes with Toro to find this target. She obviously is. Uh, a master assassin. She has a the Star Wars equivalent of a sniper rifle, um, <clears throat> and she's right sniped out one bounty hunter trying to look for her on a uh, uh, not horseback, but uh, I think they're called dewbacks. So she was on. So she sniped one guy on dewback, and um, she uh, is she's on she's perched on a hill which for you know for a sniper is like prime position it's literally the high ground and they even make a point of saying well she's got the high ground in this episode um which i'm sure was a kind of a subtle funny allusion to you know i mean does it really make any any difference when you're shooting laser rifles like does there's not really gravity doesn't really play into it it's not it's not gravity so much as positioning where you can look down on somebody but you can immediately retreat to cover whereas if you're looking up at somebody on a hill you might not have 
you know, the cover to, I, I think it's more a matter of cover and, you know, uh, positioning than it's actually just I like, oh, well, I'm so, higher. I mean, originally the, the advantage of the high ground was if you had, you know, archers, uh, you know, your range shooting on a, on a Down, yeah. downward angle is much longer than if you're shooting upward. So you had the, you had the advantage that you had a much, uh, you know, could fire further. Whereas, or with you know, troops, like, you know, charging up a hill is a lot more strenuous than defending down a hill. Like, it's much easier. Sure. It's it just naturally a better position to have in a fight. Um, you know what else you can do is you just get the fucking giant uh, log with spikes on it, cover it in oil, light it on fire, and roll that fucker down the hill, and everyone below yeah. is fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's a lot, there's a lot of shit you could do when you have the high ground. If anything, um, if anything, Obi-Wan having the high ground on that little <laughs> little lava rock edge barely two feet higher up uh, you know up in the air than than anakin was like the least high ground advantage possible oh, no the, the, it was like i have the high ground it's like you're literally like a half of a foot above me like what the fuck are you talking about but but anakin like did, made the all-time chump move of jumping directly into his path like he literally could have like moved that little platform like five feet to the right jumped onto the rocks alongside him and kept fighting <laughs> I mean, but, if, if anything, him jumping head over heels over Obi-Wan gave him the high ground. And yeah. look where it got him. Nowhere. Yeah. No, but that was a dumb Nowhere move. Anyway. Dumb move, for sure. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, so they, you know, they eventually <clears throat> figure out a plan to, um, to reach her. Because it's like, you know, obviously you can't approach because she's going to snipe you. But the only way you can really approach is if you do enough to blind her in the approach that she can't get a clean shot off. And then you're on top of her. That's, you know, the idea um, of what they did. And it was actually a cool scene. I like the way they that shot. Kind that. Of I like the way you phrased all that. Just so <laughs> yeah, I, know, you know. I know not intentional, uh, but no. So she, uh, I, I, I did enjoy the way they shot that where it was very much, uh, you know, it, it was, it was just cool where they just kept trying to like hit her with the, the, the flash kind of flash grenade, uh, tools that they had and uh you know she couldn't get a clean shot off uh eventually they managed to overtake her um she although she does uh fuck mandalorian shit up like she she hits him like three or four times i think um in that but that you know that beskar holds up uh barely at, at that long distance um and uh yeah but eventually they get to jump on her uh, take a prisoner, uh, but they have no way to transport her back. So uh, Toro's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to leave you with my bounty." So Mando goes off to get the one of the Dubak things, uh, and uh, in her attempts to talk him out of uh, or to 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 talk him into releasing her, she tells him like, "Hey, you know, he's you know, I'm not worth shit. Like, he's the real." bounty you want he's the most wanted guy in, in the galaxy him and the in this high value target he has with him uh it's a kid or something and so he uh wheels turning in his head he's like oh well uh you know this fucking chick uh shoots her kills her uh presumably uh and um decides to uh go after baby yoda because when mando gets back all he finds is the dead body and no Toro. Um, and then he quickly realizes what happened. So he flies, he, you know, he bolts back to Amy Sedaris and uh, Toro's there holding the kid for ransom uh, or, you know, holding the kid and, you know, trying to, trying to talk to Mando out of, out of you know, 
whatever. Mando gets the best of him, kills him. That's pretty much the end of the episode. Well, um, you're, you're skipping a couple things there. Um, 90210 Greaseball puts a fucking blaster to Baby Yoda's head. Uh, and I think that was the moment where we all were just. Like, oh, yeah. Of uh, course. I mean, that was that murder was him. Worst. Murder that Greaseball rat fuck motherfucker. No, that was even worse than the than the fucking the crosshairs. I was like, this motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, he was already annoying, and you wanted to see him die already, like in this episode. But that was really the moment where you're like, all right, this dude, he's got to fucking go. Um, but but you know, Mando Mando uh, gets the best of him, and uh, that's pretty much that. But um, the real intriguing thing of the episode was was the final shot of the episode, which. Uh, you, where you see uh, the, the 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 assassin's lifeless body out in the desert still, and you see a pair of boots approach, a uh, pair of boots and a cape approach, and the boots have uh, spurs on them. Um, so now, uh, and you don't, of course, you don't see anything else about the person who it is, what they're you know what they're wearing, other than the fact that you see boots and a, and a little glimpse of the cape. Um, so now there are a couple possibilities. Um, most likely is that it's Giancarlo Esposito's character, who we haven't met yet, uh, who is Guess a Frank. moth. Yes, Gus Frank. Uh, who is a moth. Moth Gideon, I think his name is on the show. Whatever. Um, who I, I'm sure is going to be factoring in soon. And, and presumably is the person who Werner Herzog is, was answering to, who he was trying to bring the child to. Like, that seems to be his boss uh, is, is, is Gus Fring is Moff Gus Fring. Um, and um, it's possible it's him. I, the only reason I, I, I hesitate to say it's him is because it seems weird that he would be on Tatooine by himself. Like moths are like, they order people around. They don't like, they're not like bounty hunters. They don't go off and like look for shit, but maybe it was just like nonsensical shot to like introduce his character and it didn't have to make sense, you know? It's Star Wars. Just go with it, kind of thing. Well, um, I don't think he's out there by himself. I mean, we the, the, the establishment. There, there could be people the behind trailer. him. Yeah. He had a bunch of the Death Troopers that we saw from Rogue One, so it's probably something where they're out there searching and uh, maybe, yeah, they're like, "Oh, hey, we found him," and then they go down and he's like, "Oh, the dead body's right over there." So he walked like the last ten feet by himself, but wasn't you know even remotely uh, searching for this person by uh, by his lonesome. Yeah. Well, and the other intriguing possibility, uh, and I know we talked about him earlier in the series, but uh, more as an Easter egg than anything. But um, Tatooine is the last place we see Boba Fett where he goes into the Sarlacc pit and, you know, we presume he dies. But again, he's got a jetpack on his back and he's, you know, alive, presumably just kind of embarrassed about how goofily he went out, uh, knocked into a Sarlacc pit by a blind dude. Uh, but um you know in, in all of the expanded universe star wars stuff he survives he makes his way out of the sarlacc pit pretty easily using his jetpack and uh he goes on to have other you know stories so you know being ta- being tatooine and that you know aspect of it uh also the fact that we hear the spurs very prominently it's the only thing we hear in that shot so you know, that could have just been a stylistic choice. You know, it's a Western motif. Uh, you want to introduce character that way. But what do you uh, use Spurs for in outer space? I wonder. I, I think they're. Yeah, I don't know. In outer space. I don't, Is I don't think they're riding the giant lizards. Is that what you have them for? They have practical use. In, was it just to like get horse, like torture horses to like ride faster? Is that what Spurs are for? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you it like was kick for. the sides. But, I mean, of... you know, they 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 show them 
uh, you know, riding fucking <clears throat> two and four legged lizard tadpole creatures. So, so maybe I, that's what they use them I for. I would imagine it's the only thing that could fucking possibly have a purpose. <sighs> well, so, but now the reason people were kind of speculating is because the introduction to Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back is literally him walking into the the room where Darth Vader, you know, prepared that nice meal for everybody. Um, and uh, we hear Boba's spurs coming down the hallway. And actually, if you listen to that side by side with this episode, it's the exact same uh, sound effect. So people were like, yeah, this is, you know, they just want it to happen. And so what if they do it, they do it. If not, whatever. It just it's like that. There's so few episodes left. Like if there, it, it seems it seems like yeah, kind of. What the, why even have Gus Fring be in the show if you're just gonna do this? Well, that could also be, uh, you know, maybe maybe this character is not followed up on in the next episode. We get the Gus Fring arc, and then the last episode of the season, we find out Boba's been on his tail the whole time. And like I don't know, that could be good, could be bad. I, I the reason I like it more now than I did I think when we initially talked about like oh maybe he'll be in the series is because he is actually the most high-valued bounty in the galaxy right now along with with Baby Yoda. So it'd be interesting to be like, you know, they've sent all these like faceless bounty hunter goons after him this whole series. It would actually be interesting if he had a formidable adversary on his tail like like some all-time great bounty sure. hunter trying to track him down. So like that could be interesting if they did that. Um yeah, but, you got you know, to have a you got to have a 10 enemy, you know. They had all these like rando, you know, threes and fours and even the entire guild together amounted to about a 5, you know, to to Mando's 10. Like they yeah, he needs yeah. to go up against like another 10 and have the stakes be fucking higher for a prolonged period of time, not just oh, here's the part of the episode where he fucking beats the bad guy. Like they got to have yeah, a yeah. They got to up the stakes a little bit. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, kind of, oh, he fought another monster. Oh, he killed another fucking douchebag with an earring. <laughs> like He went to this planet and did something, and now he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's he taught the townsfolk how to use a fucking bamboo spear. Like, let's yeah. get, get to a bigger... Come on. <laughs> yeah. And and again, like, I'm enjoying the series, but I do want some more serialized storytelling going forward. And I think we're going to get that, but... um. I just hope there's enough of that to be satisfying considering how short the season is. Uh, it's only, I think eight episodes, um, eight or nine. Um, but you know, I, I've enjoyed it so far. I, I hope, I, you know, I, I hope we get some interesting stuff in the last couple. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this, this kind of works alongside rise of Skywalker, because again, you know, uh, baby Yoda is 50 years old. Um, and we don't know, what happens to him and he's not in the first two star wars you know the new star wars movies so is he going to show up and rise of skywalker i'll be about 80 years old like he'll be right around right ripe enough to to at least have jedi skills he'll probably be you know a jedi knight at that point if he's alive but then again you know who knows what they're fucking gonna do eh, where's it when um, you gotta go do that thing and just because you have force powers you know you don't have to, but like, it seems like he's going to have, it seems like his introduction was, it was a ma had major implications for the broader universe of Star Wars. Like, I can't imagine you introduce a character like this who may be the last of his kind and don't, you know, involve him in the, in the larger galaxy, you know, saving plot. It, it would just seem like a weird thing to be like, oh yeah, well there's this guy who's like, 
you know, maybe the most force sensitive. Uh, maybe he just wants to galaxy. heal and doesn't want to fight. Did you not see him reaching up to try to heal the Mandalorian's fucking? You Look, know, he's a baby. He doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, uh, just, nah. Doesn't want to fucking pick up a lightsaber. He doesn't <laughs> want to fall down that trapping again. We've already seen that. We want to Look, fucking. As long see as he's not. As long as he's not a fucking feel. arrogant hypocrite like his father, I think we'll be all right. Like it's not it, his father. As... It's not his fucking father. They already established that shit. God damn it. Uh, I'm half joking, but they didn't establish that at all. Totally could be his father. Yoda could totally be his father. <laughs> could they be. Said, they said it's definitely not a clone of Yoda. No, I don't think it's a clone. Uh, but you know, I'm not talking about what you think. I'm talking about what they said. They said it's definitely not Yoda, and it's definitely not a clone of Yoda. That's what they said. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's not Yoda's kid. Doesn't mean doesn't mean it's not Yoda and Yaddle. I'm not saying Yoda that. and Yaddle didn't You're extrapolating fuck. something. I'm not even saying. <sighs> well, I said it's his father. You said it's not his father. How would that not be his father if it was Yoda's kid? I said it could be his father. I'm saying they didn't say it wasn't not his father. What? All right. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> this is like hour four of podcasting. This is <laughs> this is really off the rails. But, um, but no. So I. I, I but the reason I say is because the uh, Rise of Skywalker comes out before the final episode of Mandalorian. So the second to last episode I think airs before rise of skywalker uh premieres and then the final episode is like the week after so it seems like that's not a coincidence the timing of of when these show the show airs versus that so i just wonder what that'll mean you know for baby yoda um but i guess we'll find out um and they're already shooting the second season i think it's mostly shot so i it, there's a, some chance that it'll be like out you know in spring like it'll be out pretty quickly um but in any event, uh, you know, this 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 episode was was like, whatever, it was fine. Uh, hopefully next episode does more to advance the plot. Um, so is the next episode six, uh, the other to the second episode that uh, Deborah Chow directed or is that seven? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Filoni directed seven. So this might be the Deborah Chow. Uh, let me let me just look at real quick. But um yeah, Filoni directed the most episodes, but yeah, I think Deborah Chow directed two. So let's see. Uh, uh, wow, the show's a nine point one on IMDb. It's a little high. I, I enjoy the show. No, don't get me wrong, but nine point one. What episode seems, got a nine point one? No, no, the whole series has a nine point one. That seems oh. exceedingly high for the whole. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not gonna let I'm, you know. And I don't want to shit all over because you know, again, no, it, no, I'm not gonna. Sh- I'm not shitting on it either. Well, so okay, so but when you look at the episode now, I just opened the individual episode rankings. They have a much more um, uh, appropriate rating. Episode one's eight point seven. Episode two's eight point eight. Episode three nine point two. Episode mm-hmm. four seven point eight, and episode five seven point nine. I, I think episode four is definitely better than five, but yeah. Um, other than that, I, I largely agree with that. No, so okay, so next episode is directed by Rick uh Fam Famu Famuyu Famuyua, uh who is the guy who directed um episode two, I think. He was the director who directed that movie Dope. Uh he directed a couple of other things. Uh but yeah, so that's that's who's directing next episode. Um episode seven is being directed by Deborah Chow. So that's that's the episode. Mm. Uh, she's directing and it's a John Carl Esposito is listed in that episode uh, as uh, you know one of the cast members so that might be his introduction if he doesn't get introduced next episode 
It would be nice. I mean, we've we've just had like a rotating cast of characters and none of them come back. It's kind of weird. You think like a guy that's been a bounty hunter this long has no old friends. Like everyone we've seen is somebody he just met. Yeah. And every episode is somebody new. It's like, really? This guy doesn't have any, any old friends. Would he, did he just like oh. recently do something really shitty to piss off everyone that he used to know. be in his life? Yeah. Well, so you know, what's weird is John Carlos Esposito is only listed for episode seven. He's not in next episode or episode oh. eight. God. Which could be, which could just be, I mean, that might just be, you know, trying to not spoil like his arc, but if that's yeah, true. I bet it's not weird. though. I bet he's only in one fucking episode and they're just fucking yeah, man, that's off like, like that. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, it's I'm, like an audition for every director and every guest cast. Like, okay, who's, who's really going to be invited back for season two? Cause you're, so I think, you know, as much as I love the kind of giving different voices a say in how this goes, I think there does need to be a more cohesive creative vision for the second season. Um, and that's why, again, I'm really looking forward to Deborah Chow's Obi-Wan series because it seems like she'll be the creative force behind that show. And, you know, the fact that she's directing every episode is going to give it a lot more of a cohesive feel than this kind of, uh, you know, almost like a monster of the week, you know, to, to steal an X-Files term uh, type show that we're getting now with Mandalorian, uh, where some episodes are great, but, you know, it's it's hard to discern the larger story so i really hope episode, season two uh gets more on track in that sense but i guess we'll see well and, and it's fun too if it was just bingey you'd be like oh i would binge the whole thing and not really remember what was good and what was bad i would just have like yeah. a vague overall gray impression up to this point uh and you know and, and so many streaming shows that's all it is it's like oh i i watched all of Stranger Things season three in one weekend, and I don't remember one episode from the next. They all felt the same. It all just felt well, like I a, thought season three was like a nine. Really good. Sure, no, it was good. It's just it's like a nine hour movie, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't get that sense of like having a moment to 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 unpack everything you saw in one episode, and you don't have any time to anticipate anything new. You know, which really like we need that. Yeah. If, if it's going to be a full fucking hour, you need that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, think. there's a reason we remember every episode of Watchmen and what happens in it versus like if we watched that over the course of, you know, if it was on Netflix, it would be like, wow, this is this is awesome. But like, you know, it, it would just blend together. And it's like there's no time in between for speculation yeah. or for deeper thematic yeah. analysis. It's like, you know, we would, and probably, I, we would probably look at it and be like, wow, they really didn't know who the main character was. And then there was that one weird black and white episode and it was really just <laughs> really hit or miss and didn't really impress me very much. Like, that's I, what I would probably think right now. Uh, I, I still it. think we would. I still think we would love it because it's it's just such a well-made show, but it would certainly not have the impact that it has when it's week to week and there is so much time to really oh, dig each, into the deeper meaning episode and, has, has done so many different things that are so well self-contained within each episode. And I know that, you know, we're, we're not really here to review <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> Watchmen so much. We already did that, that review earlier tonight, but uh, yeah, it's it just another little, little thought kind of comparing the, the, the world of, of, um, you know, binge streaming versus really stretching it out and giving you time to think and time to go back and watch it again and go, oh, you know, actually, I didn't notice that the first time through. That is yeah. something that really adds to it that I, I needed to kind of have a second viewing before I went into the next episode. So, 
fingers crossed. Real, the real, yeah, uh, fingers crossed. Just, just really want to see more of the like the what they really did well in the first three episodes. I want to see more of that in the rest of same. the season. Same, me too. And let's be real. The real reason it's week to week is so they can get you to sign up for Disney Plus and say subscribe for like three months. That's the real the real reason that it's it's week to week. And it's like, well, yeah. you we know this is the only thing you're gonna come that like a segment of the audience is gonna come to us for. Uh and the only way we're gonna get you to stay and not cancel after a seven day trial is if you have to wait each week for these episodes. And we're gonna make this shit so like, you know, so Star Wars like centric and so like you know lore centric that you're gonna be like fuck well i gotta watch the next one you know even if this one wasn't great i gotta right see what they do next um and that's you know I, i'm not knocking for that i i think streaming stuff's great i just don't want it to be expense or to be <laughs> i don't want streaming services to be at the expense of uh going to the movie movie theaters you know going out and i think i think most people don't want that either they want to watch some things at home and other times they want to go out with somebody and go watch something in a theater. And my only concern is, is Disney right now is taking all the billions we're giving them and they're buying up lots of uh, classic films that like micro cinemas and Bruin views depend on because they can't afford to run for, you know, first, first run features. Um, they depend on old vintage prints to, to show and Disney is gobbling all of them up right now to hoard them so that independent theaters can't show them. And that yeah. is something I do worry about. Yeah, no, that's again, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's easy to forget sometimes that Disney is, is the empire. Like they are the fucking evil empire, you know, and, and they produce the shit we love, but, but a lot of it's just stuff that they've acquired. And it's not that they're this great benevolent company. They're in a lot of ways, a pretty evil fucking company. They, they, you know, they, treat their workers horribly they don't pay them living wages they basically have mm. you know fat company towns where they pay them like in script and, and, and this like, is not new at all uh no, I, this I found this great um there's a buzzfeed article i found this week and uh i mean i, I didn't find the article first that's why I, I didn't find the article i found some gifts that were originally from this article from this um uh newsreel footage from 1941 uh, while we're at okay, war, so this, yeah. uh, of uh, striking Disney animators having a rally at the gates of the of the studios in California, and they brought in a working guillotine, and they fucking guillotined awesome. the lawyer for uh, Disney's uh, union busting, <laughs> and it's like all these Disney animator guys with their shirts off and like black hoods on, like they're executioners. And they're guillotining an effigy, this this fucking uh, unibusting lawyer. And there's even like a guy with a like a like like a fucking snare drum around his neck playing a drum roll as they fucking guillotine this guy in effigy. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit! These are just these aren't like hardcore roughneck working down by the docks union guys. These are fucking Disney animators that are this fucking down with the proletariat that they're gonna fucking get, get, chop the heads off of their 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 bosses basically. Um, well, it's amazing so, how much more labor literate the whole populace was back then before yeah. we completely gutted unions and, you know. Yeah, and, and, and that BuzzFeed article talks about it, too, how, you know, if the animators went on strike, that meant all the people at Technicolor ref would also refuse to uh, do the color work for Disney features. Uh, it mm -hmm. also meant that, like, AFL at the time, American uh, Federation of Laborers, now part of, you know, half of the uh, AFL-CIO, uh, put on like a full boycott of all Disney products. 
which meant like a- anyone in a union would stop going to see Disney movies for the whole time that the animators <laughs> were on strike, you know? So this was, it was like a very, like, like, you know, from industry to industry, there was a shitload of labor solidarity back in the day. So it, it's a shame we don't have that as much now, but. Yeah. Which is uh, essential so- to successful strikes. I mean, you know, if you don't have that, you don't have yeah. any shit. Like that's the whole point is to disrupt capital to the point where they're willing to make concessions because you're, you're fucking up their business so much by, by, you know, by striking in solidarity with all these other, these other groups. Um, but you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mandalorian, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So again, you know, not, not a great episode, but you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for the rest of the season. I've, I've really enjoyed most of the show so far. Um, four out of five, you know, three and a half out of five is certainly not bad. Um, you know, it's about, about what I did in school. So I'll take it. Um, and yeah, uh, I too so, showed up to about three out of five of my glasses. <laughs> yeah. No, pretty, depending on the year, uh, that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, but no, uh, but you know, 75, uh, uh, perfectly acceptable. Uh, so yeah, uh, that pretty much does it for us this week. Uh, obviously rate review and subscribe on Apple podcasts, best way to help the show out. Uh, soundcloud.com slash move left is where you can find all of our shows. We do this. We do a political podcast from a socialist perspective called move left idiots every week. Uh, on Thursdays, we do a watchman review, uh, every Monday night. Uh, and there's only one left after, after the most recent one. So, you know, go check that out. If you've been watching this amazing show and, uh, you want to, you want to listen to our coverage of that. Um, we uh, are on Facebook, Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash move left idiots, uh, Patreon.com slash move left, tinyurl.com slash move left merch for any merch. Uh, I am on Twitter at move underscore left. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you.